The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 67 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm your host, George Reedus. I want to emphasize that all opinions expressed on the show are my own and not that my present or past employers. I've never disclosed any sensitive intelligence that I've been privileged to or resort to my current employment, and I will never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government, and nothing I say during this show should be construed as legal or financial advice. So before we get started, I want to remind our listeners, you can go online to the Cybersecurity Hub and read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at their very cool website, www.cshub.com. The Cybersecurity Hub is an online news source for global cybersecurity professionals and business leaders who leverage technology and services to secure their networks. The media professionals at the Cybersecurity Hub are dedicated to providing the latest industry news, thought leadership, and analysis in the cybersecurity space. So again, to check out our recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news, go to the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. So it's been a great start to the new year. And what a year it's turned out to be already. I mean, there's so much going on. There seems to be a lot of excitement about new beginnings and new commitments to goals and success. And it just seems to be, I mean, people just seem to be a lot more jacked up than previous years. I don't know if you guys are feeling it out there, but it, it's, it's kind of contagious. And, and people everywhere, whether it's at work or at social media, I'm looking at the news and it just seems everybody's all jacked up, and uh, everyone wants to make this year the best year ever. And I'm just loving the positive vibes. It feels really good. Uh, you know, I was looking at Twitter, and I saw Chamath Palihapitiya, and he's the, he's the CEO of Social Capital. And he's someone I follow on social media, and I study and I learn from him. He's someone I find very interesting, and I have a lot of respect for him. Because uh, I think he tells it the way it is. You know, he's, he says it the way it is. And, and, uh, and I find what he says very interesting. I watch him speak on uh, YouTube or on the internet whenever I can find him. He's a former executive over at Facebook, but he runs his own company now at Social Capital. And he tweeted out on January 2nd, he tweeted these three words. He's like, let's do this. You know, let's, let's do this. And, you know, it just, coming from him, I don't know, it just got me all jacked up. Those three words coming across my Twitter account. From, you know, someone like him, you see that and you're like, okay, you, someone you respect, he inspires you, um, and it gets you going, right? And so it may be, seems simple, I guess. It may seem simple, but coming from a guy who runs a billion-dollar company and whose mission is to advance humanity by solving the world's hardest problems, it definitely gave me a little push, man. I mean, <laughs> not that I need one. Anybody who knows me knows I'm usually bouncing off the walls on a daily basis anyway, but... And that's just one small example of the enthusiasm that seems to be permeating across the business world to kick this new year off, right? So, hey, we kicked off the new year pretty well here on Task Force 7 Radio with last week's episode featuring the CEO and CRO of CyberGRX, 
Mr. Fred Knipe, and Mr. Scott Schneider. Let me tell you, folks, they were right on point when it comes to third-party risk. I mean, everyone's having the same problems with third-party risk, and I think the, the problems are not so unique to different organizations, right? They're very common and very similar. I think your approach can be different. You can have different ideas. There's a lot of different and disparate ways people are going about mitigating this risk, and your approach to mitigating your third-party risk might vary from organization to organizations, and then these different approaches come with their own unique challenges, but the same problem is everywhere, in my opinion. It's the same. It's the same common denominator that we're all facing in the industry. It's a massive point of exposure and weakness in your fortified information security program. You know, Fred Knipe advised us on last week's show that 60 to 70% of breaches involve a third party. That's a pretty significant figure, folks. That's a big figure. So that's a pretty interesting statistic. So the common challenge everyone is dealing with is companies ability to scale to the dozens and hundreds and some companies even thousands of third parties that your organization's interacting with on a daily basis most times. And how in the world you're going to engage them to determine what level of risk each one of these partners present to your business. So after all, not every single third party is going to get the same level of scrutiny and like everything else in cybersecurity, your mitigating controls must be risk adjusted. So there's no endless availability of funds that just keep spending and spending and spending and you can't have the same effort for every single vendor and third party that you deal with because after all, as cybersecurity professionals, we are really risk executives and just like everything else in risk, it's a matter of probabilities, right? And you have to, you have to think about this and have a, a clear, defined strategy on the way forward and how you're going to handle these problems and it's easier said than done, I know. But that's the challenge we're all facing today with third-party risk. So if you're interested in learning about a material risk that we're all combating in the cybersecurity space, tune into last week's episode of Task Force 7 Radio. That's episode number 66 with third-party risk subject matter experts, Fred Knipe and Scott Schneider of CyberGRX, right here on your favorite cybersecurity radio show, folks, Task Force 7 Radio. And by the way, if you didn't get a chance to listen to the December Encore episode, it's a great one, folks. Definitely check it out. I, I loved it. I mean, December Encore episode was episode number 38 with my good friend Richard Kessler, the director of KPMG's cybersecurity advisory practice, talking about the importance and efficiency of unifying governance models. So make sure you check out your TF7 podcast library and your favorite playback medium often to see what Encore episode of the month is posted and if there are any other TF7 extras being posted out there as well. It's all good stuff. So if you're listening to us live on Voice America right now, or maybe someone just sent you the link to this episode, you might be wondering how you can listen to all the previous Task Force 7 radio episodes on playback. You can find TF7 radio on a total of nine different playback mediums, including iTunes.com, Google Play, TuneIn.com, Stitcher.com, Player.fm, Overcast.fm, ListenNotes.com, the show's very own website at TF7Radio.com, and of course, the number one internet talk radio producer in the world, and VoiceAmerica.com. So all in all, nine different options to get your TF7 Radio fixed. We're everywhere, folks. You can't miss us. If you Google Task Force 7 Radio, you get all your options. Check us out, TF7 Radio Playback at your convenience, 24-7, 365, anytime, anywhere around the globe. And as always, please, please, please don't forget to subscribe. That's how we get you those notifications on the new weekly episodes, the TF7 Extras, and the Encore episodes that we play monthly right now that you might have missed 
in the past. So if you're a new listener, subscribing is definitely the way to go. So we're going to have a frequent guest back with us this evening. I guess you could call her a frequent guest. Uh, she's been on the show with us a few times. I think this is her third appearance on the show. Dr. Rebecca Wynn will be on the show with us tonight. We love having Dr. Wynn on the show because she draws a really big crowd and she brings nearly 20 years of experience to the table in the information security, assurance, and technology space. She's well known for being a gifted polymath, which means she has subject matter expertise in several different areas, which we really appreciate and tap into all the time on the show. But specifically, she has a deep understanding of current cybersecurity challenges in data privacy issues. So Dr. Wynn is a rock star in the data privacy space. Dr. Wynn was named the 2017 Cybersecurity Professional of the Year, sponsored by the Cybersecurity Excellence Awards. And she also won the SC Magazine's Chief Privacy Officer of the Year Award in 2017 as well. So Dr. Wynn is a Global Privacy and Security by Design International Council member, and she has dozens of published writings on cybersecurity. She has a huge following on social media that is growing every single day, and because people like to read what she publishes and thousands of women look up to her as a role model, not only in the cybersecurity space, but as a business executive, and that's another reason why I love to have her on the show. So what's really cool is Dr. Wynn is going to be the keynote speaker at the FutureCon 2019 conference coming up on the 30th in Scottsdale, Arizona. So I thought this would be a great time to have her back on the show to talk some privacy. So without further ado, Dr. Rebecca Wynn, welcome to the show. George, thank you for having me on the show. Actually, for the third time, it's, it's always an honor and pleasure to be here and to celebrate National and International Data Privacy Month. And January 28, 2019, I'll remind everybody, is Data Privacy Day. And I also want to remind everybody that privacy and security by design should always be by default. That's fantastic. And thanks for coming back. I really appreciate it. We love having you on. You draw a big crowd. And I know you got a lot of followers on social media, and you definitely get a lot of listeners when you come on the show for the episodes that you've been on. And great. Matter of fact, we might do an encore episode of one of your episodes uh, coming up in the next few months. So look out for that coming up soon. But I want to kick off the privacy discussion that we're going to have today to get your thoughts around the recent high-profile breaches this year, because I don't think that I can have a privacy discussion with at least asking your opinion about these very high-profile breaches and where this has taken us going back into 2019. Well, George, before I answer, I do want to take a moment and remind the listeners that the opinions that I give here are my own, and it should not be inferred that they're opinions of my past employers, my current employer, or any future employers. So, now we have the disclaimer out of the way. Um, man, there was a lot, and they're, they're really scary and troublesome. But let me go ahead and give a few examples to our listeners um, so we can recall them, and let me give a little bit of a global perspective as well. Um, there's too many, though, let me have in our disclaimer. There's too many to try and, and talk about real quickly in this first question. I would find myself talking the whole time about this first question. So if I do leave one out, um, you know, no one, um, you know, take that against me. We'll probably maybe talk about it later on the show or maybe, you know, people could send me a, a, an email or something like that. We'll talk about it. So one of the things um, that I wanted to talk about is actually because we don't talk about, we kind of forget about the United States when we kind of start doing our recaps is the really huge one, the 1.1 1 
billion data records. That was a data breach of Adahar. Um, that was the Indian government's ID database, which got breached. That stored the uh, citizen's identity, the biometric information. And um, it experienced a data leak on the system, you know, if you think about it, because it was run by um, the company called Indane. And, and Indane hadn't secured their API, and people have seen me write about securing their IP a lot quite a bit last year and so having an insecure API allowed them to go ahead and use that to access the database which gave anyone actually access to the Adahar information and so the private information on the Indian residents included their names their 12-digit ID number and the information um, on connected services like their bank accounts um, it was discovered in March of last year um, and really the, the first day of it being breached, no one really knows about it. Um, obviously, there was a lot of stuff on Facebook, and I am sure we're going to get into Facebook. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and skip Facebook for a second and um, move on to, we had Marriott, the Starwood Hotels. That's the 500 million um, record data breach. That's the big one that everyone's been talking about. Um, we're going to see GDPR come into play, and we've seen that more recently in the last couple of weeks. Um, where we talked about they're going to have to go ahead and have, there's going to be some court hearings, they're going to be talking about fines, and it's the fine part that, that people are really going to be watching because it's going to be setting a, a precedent for other companies and what's going to be going on there and what they expect to actually get fined with, and if those fines actually, they're, they're going to have to pay them or they're going to be able to fight them. Um, so let me remind people, if you didn't know about the Marriott, that included um, phone numbers, email addresses, passport numbers, reservation dates, some payment card um, information with expiration dates. Um, the hackers, what they did is they accessed the reservation database and copied and stole the guest information from that. And it was a, it was a long one. It, it occurred between 2014 and September 2018. We saw Google. Google had a data breach of their Google Plus, which exposed 500,000 user profiles. Um, that included the name, um, employer, job title, um, email address, birthday, age, relationship status, pretty much almost anything else that you put on there. It affected 52.8 million records and happened 2015 through March of 2018. And then it came back for a week in November, like the 7th through the 14th about there about. Um, Google announced that it's going to actually now just completely get rid of um, Google Plus for good. And that's supposed to um, go away in April of 2019. I'm not sure if that's the beginning of the month or towards the middle or end of the month. Um, then we actually saw several airlines announce they had breaches, like China's um, Cathay Pacific Airlines. That had 9.4 million um, data record discovered in March. We saw British Airways, about 380,000 card payment data records were hacked in August 21st, 2018 through September 5th, 2018. Um, staying on that travel theme, we saw Orbitz. Um, their payment card information was stolen about 880,000 records and that happened January 1st from 2016 through December 22nd, 2017. Um, one that was really interesting is we saw Singapore. It had a deliberate, targeted, and well-planned attack of the Singapore government's health database. The information on the Prime Minister of Singapore was um, specifically was being targeted and that happened May 1st of 2015 through July 4th, 2018. And like I said earlier, of course I could spend all day on this one question. <laughs> Um, but I just want to remind Muners that it was a, you know, a year to really be thinking of all these data breaches and, and what we're going to be doing on privacy. And, you know, you had the 2 million records of, of, 
T-Mobile, you had Quora, you had MyHeritage, and we had a lot more other ones around the world. So it was a big, big year for um, data breaches and bigger year to talk about privacy. So I'm hoping that people in my field that maybe this can be the year that we really get the, you know, the budgets and the personnels and, and things on those lines that we can really do our jobs even better going forward in 2019. Yeah, I mean, that was a pretty comprehensive breakdown of the breaches that happened this year. And when you think about it, it kind of gets depressing when you start hearing the numbers and the, and the <laughs> you know, and, and what happened. I mean, it's hard to imagine that there's an adult in the United States that hasn't been affected by a data breach. Uh, even if you just count the ones that happened this year. I mean, so you did mention Facebook. Obviously, uh, you can't have a privacy conversation without mentioning Facebook. There was a lot of testimony on the Hill this year. I think we did a couple episodes just on Facebook alone here on Task Force 7 Radio. What are your thoughts around all the problems plaguing this popular social media company? Well, as you know from previous episodes and, and where I've written before, I, I've never been a big fan uh, of Facebook, um, besides not liking how the company even came about. Um, it's just never really, in my opinion, put data privacy first. And we've talked about Ann Kavukian, who I do a lot of work with. And I know Ann has been out there and talked to Facebook several times. And, and she's always been pretty um, excited that it seems like her message gets across to the company, but just doesn't seem like it never um, fully gets a whole whole hook in there. Um, I just don't think that people should expect to have a big paradigm shift in, in Facebook until they, they have leadership permanently change. So there's a couple, there's really um, three big hacks um, that I saw in there. We saw my personality app, if people don't remember that, that was about 4 million data records affected. And what the app did is it mishandled um, the Facebook user data by sharing information with researchers as well as companies with only um, limited protections in place. Um, we then saw Facebook's code get hacked through vulnerabilities in its code with a tune about 29 million data records. And then the big one, as you've alluded to, is the Cambridge Analytica, where 87 million data records are affected. Just to remind our users, uh, not our users, excuse me, the, the people listening here on the phone, only about 270,000 um, Facebook users actually installed the app. So only 270,000 Facebook users actually installed the app but 87 million data records were affected. Rebecca, how did that happen? The reason was is because it was due to da um, Facebook's data sharing policies at the time. The app was able to gather the data on millions of their friends. And we, as you saw, we saw many congressional hearings. And it, I tell people, if you have not seen those hearings, go back. They were pretty humorous. One of the big issues was that um, a lot of people on Capitol Hall, you know, what is the Internet? What is Facebook? Um, yeah, yeah. Trying to get them on that. And, and right now that we're seeing is a lot of the, the GDPR issues and, and Facebook's, <clears throat> excuse me, going back and forth fighting with them and what should be covered, what shouldn't should be covered. So that's going to be the one to watch for 2019. So I don't know if you saw this recently, but it, it was kind of plastered all over the internet news uh, in terms of you know, some of the cybersecurity space uh, uh, sites and some of the tech sites. That at this year's computer electronics show, Apple had plastered on a side of a building. It said, what happens on your iPhone stays on your iPhone, right? And I caught my eye right away when I saw it. And I think they're you know, obviously trying to promote themselves as the, the, the protectors and pioneers of privacy. And some say really taking a shot at, you know, Google and Facebook and Amazon. What are your thoughts on, on that whole thing? Well, as I told other people who asked me, well, that's marketing for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't think that much. I mean, Apple, it's made in China. And if you remember back, 
anybody who wanted to go ahead and have manufacturers in China and use them and, and sell their businesses and stuff in China, um, <clears throat> they had to go ahead and share their source code. So um, if someone has access to your code and someone can inject stuff in firmware and things like that, I, yeah, I wouldn't, I, would, I don't trust it. Um, you know, what, what stays in China, does, you know, what happens in China doesn't stay in China. Um, <laughs> you know, what, what happens on your iPhone to me, my personal opinion is it doesn't stay on your iPhone um, as well as any other um, phones or anything else out there. Um, the best thing is almost not to think of a thought anymore and that way someone can't breach it. Right, right. Well, you've seen in recent years significant amounts of legislative activity related to state data breach notification laws here in the United States. Were there any significant legislations in 2018 that you think that are really noteworthy? Oh, yes, George. Um, it, 2018 was a remarkable, remarkable year. Um, it's, like I said, it's setting us up for hopefully a really good 2019. So um, not only did South Dakota and Alabama enact new data breach notification laws in 2018, um, but they actually became the last of the 50 states to enact such laws. Um, but other states also enacted changes to existing data breach notification laws to expand their scope and implemented uh, additional notification requirements. And I'll give you some highlights. Um, as I just said, South Dakota and Alabama enacted a new breach notification. The new laws went into effect around mid-2018, and they included many features commonly seen in, you know, the recent amendments of other states. So um, that we saw around the data breach notification laws, such as expanded personal identifiable information, so PII definitions, um, explicit notification deadlines, and state regulatory notification requirements. And while most states require entities to provide breach notifications in most expedient time possible and without unreasonable delay um, following discovery of a breach, certain states' um, notification laws include explicit deadlines for providing such notifications, but during 2018, several states joined a growing trend by revising their data privacy notification laws include explicit deadlines for notifying affected individuals. And notably on long lap front was Colorado, which enacted a 30-day deadline from the discovery of the breach to notifying the affected individuals. And that matched Florida's 30-day deadline for the shortest notification deadline in the United States. We saw Alabama, Arizona, <clears throat> and Oregon all pass legislation requiring notification of affected individuals <clears throat> within 45 days. And then Louisiana, South Dakota also passed legislation that affected individuals within 60 days of discovery. So that was all good. I, I like that they're all getting ready to, to shorten those amount of times. It's tough on the companies to be able to get the information together, but I think us as individuals should be able to know that as quickly as possible so that we can protect our, our Shouldn't we just have one comprehensive federal law that covers every state instead of having all these individual disparate laws all over the place that really just drive up the cost of compliance? Yeah, we're going to have to do that at some point in time because it's um, the amount of overhead to go ahead and, and try to make sure state by state by state that you're compliant is really overburdensome. So I'm really um, looking forward to having an overall encompassing governmental um, privacy um, regulation there, and I would love to be on a committee for that. Yeah, I think that'd be a really good idea. But also, wasn't there some state-specific data breach notification laws around financial services specifically? 
Yeah, several states um, have gone to implement a sector-specific data breach notification requirements. And what we saw that was in the implementation of the New York Department of Financial Services. You'll see that as NYDFS, cybersecurity regulation. And that was in 2017. It included a 72-hour deadline for regulatory notifications. But we saw South Carolina, Vermont, Virginia also pass sector-specific data um, requirements. Um, South Carolina's law, similar to the DYDFS regulation, had required regulatory notification in 72 hours of certain licensed insurers. Vermont's law um, implemented additional information security requirements for data brokers, and it required that such entities disclose a security breach to state regulatories as part of the annual um, required um, registration process. And then we had solved Virginia's new legislation that required income tax preparers um, to be notified regulators, excuse me, regulators if a data breach of tax return information happens. So we did see several states make even um, shorter requirements for financial services. So Dr. Wynn, we're gonna have to take a little time to go to commercial break, but we'll be right back to talk more about privacy issues in this cybersecurity space. So hey, if you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on LinkedIn by searching at Task Force 7 Radio and on Facebook, Twitter, and even Instagram by searching at TF7 Radio. For any inquiries sponsoring the show or suggestions for topics or guests, as well as other business communications, please email me directly at george.redis at taskforce7radio.com. That's george.redis at taskforce7.com. That's with the number seven, radio.com. I want to remind our audience that we're building the world's premier cybersecurity professional network, Task Force 7. I'm really excited about this, folks. Tune in over the next several months for more information on this much-needed and much-awaited-for network. We're going to solve some problems together, folks. I promise you, Task Force 7, get in the fight. We're going to pause for a few minutes with some words from our sponsors, and then we'll be right back with our special guest, the head of information security and data protection for the Matrix Medical Network, Dr. Rebecca Wynn. Don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Account takeover is the fastest growing form of cyber attack. Criminals exploit compromised accounts for financial gain, often causing irreparable and long-term damage to finances and reputation. Many companies think they're protected. They believe using a password manager, multi-factor authentication, behavior-based technology, password rotations, or solutions that scan the deep and dark web is enough. Yet the account takeover problem only continues to get worse. SpyCloud combines human intelligence and automated technology to prevent account takeover for your customers and employees. We recover stolen credentials early in the account takeover lifecycle before the credentials are sold on dark forums. Check your exposure for free at spycloud.com. Improve the efficiency and effectiveness of your security operations with DF Lab Security Orchestration, Automation, and Response Technology. Automate threat containment, orchestrate incident response, and measure operational performance with DF Lab's Inkman SOAR platform. 
Leverage your current security resources to minimize incident resolution time, maximize analyst efficiency, increase the number of incidents handled, and reduce overall risk. Ink Mansoor acts as a force multiplier, enabling your security team to do more with less. Streamline the full incident response lifecycle automation process today. Keep your cyber incidents under control with DF Labs. Visit dflabs.com forward slash TF7 to request a look at Inkman Soar live in action. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm here with our special guest, the head of information security and data protection for the Matrix Medical Network, Dr. Rebecca Wynn. So, doctor, I want to jump right back into our privacy discussion, and I want to cover things from a global perspective because this is a global show, and I think last week we had about 45 countries tune in to the show, which I was really, really excited about. So in terms of summarizing the privacy climate, I want to talk about a few things First, I want to talk about safe harbor, and I want to talk about HIPAA, and I want to talk about cloud. Were there any safe harbors created in 2018? Yeah, yes, there was, George. Part of the California Consumer Privacy Act, known as CCPA, was passed in California in 2018. And what it creates is a privacy right of action for certain data breach-related harms. Um, the CPA, CCPA, excuse me, provides a private right of action following a breach of an individual's PII caused by an entity's failure to implement and maintain reasonable security measures. However, the individual must provide the entity with written notice of the alleged violations, and there is no private right of action if the entity cures the alleged violations within 30 days after receiving notice. And it provides the consumer an express written statement that the violations have been cured, and that goes into effect January 2020. In addition, Ohio legislature passed a bill in 2018 that provides entities with a safe harbor from certain types of tort-based liability, um, which is related to data breaches if the entity implements a cybersecurity program that satisfies certain requirements set forth in the bill. On a city level, San Francisco passed the Privacy First policy on November 7th of 2018, and the initiative followed um, the California new privacy law that I just mentioned. It gives consumers the right to know what information is being collected about them, whether it's being sold, and to whom. And Chicago, early in the year, passed the Personal Data Collection and Protection Ordinance, and that makes businesses required to obtain consent to use or sell citizens' personal data 
notify effective citizens following the data breach, gather consent to use global location data from mobile apps, offer notifications to mobile device users for location services, and requires data brokers to register with the city. So as we talked in the first segment, it's really making interest in that not only do we have these global um, rules and regulations, we have the state um, regulations as well coming into play in the United States, and, and cities are taking upon themselves also to have privacy. So I'm really hoping that we have a governmental um, privacy um, laws come into effect in the United States to really have a lot of teeth. So there's a lot of interest, obviously, in, in data protection in the medical field. Were there any bills around HIPAA and healthcare data privacy in 2018 that people should be paying attention to? Yeah, Congress attempted but failed to enact a bill lining 42 CFR Part 2, which is the confidentiality of substance use disorder for patient records, which was really substantially last updated in, in 18. Oh, excuse me, not 18, uh, 1987. Um, it has really regular standards, and it's trying to get that being aligned with HIPAA. The draft legislation would have permitted providers to share information about patients subject to the regulation for the purpose of treatment, payment, operations, similar to HIPAA. Um, and the purpose of legislation was to promote patient treatment and outcomes for substance abuse disorders, particularly in light of the... Um, opioid epidemic that's going on. Um, however, after Congress failed to pass legislation, um, the U.S. Department of Human Services, HHS, announced it planned to release a notice of proposed rulemaking on the topic in March of 2019. Um, in addition to the possible changes with that regulation, HHS issued a, a request for information to identify HIPAA regulations um, around care coordination and the value-based payment systems. Um, both which, again, require the sharing of patient information. So HHS may change the way it handles monetary penalties or settlements resulting from data breaches. And if so, um, it says that it actually plans to issue a request for information on proposal to share a percentage of the money paid to healthcare organizations through civil monetary penalties or monetary settlements with individuals directly affected by the data breach. So we just need to stay tuned. So can you explain what the Cloud Act is? I know we hear a lot about it. You know, people talk about it all the time, but what is the Cloud Act and what can we expect in 2019? Um, that's an excellent question. Um, and a lot of people are always confused what it even means, what the Cloud Act is. Right. Um, on March 23rd, 2018, Congress passed and President Trump signed into law the Clarifying Lawful Overseas Use of Data, Cloud Act. And what it is, it was created a new framework for government access to data held by technology companies worldwide. So there's two parts, and I'll briefly tell you what those are. The first part of the Cloud Act provides that orders issued pursuant to Electronic Communication Privacy Act, ECPA, can reach data regardless of where the data is stored, so anywhere in the world. The second part of the Cloud Act creates a framework for new bilateral agreements with foreign governments for cross-border data requests. And under these bilateral agreements, the United States and participating foreign governments would remove legal restrictions that otherwise prohibit technology providers from complying with the other country's legal requests. 
So this year, we may see the framework be put into action as the United States considers how to approach, you know, entering into these bilateral executive agreements with certain countries. In addition, um, the Supreme Court decision in Carpenter versus United States held that law enforcement must get a warrant in order to obtain cell site location information from cell phone providers. So in 2019, I expect debate over the scope of the decision will continue as you know, the federal courts consider what, if any, additional types of information held by third parties may require a warrant. And we really have to think about that as people travel vastly around the world and, and move from place to place. So let's take a tour around the world a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about some of the other places outside the United States. Was there any legislation in the European Union? That's normal. Yeah, the big story this year was the general protection um, regulation, general data protection regulation known as GDPR. And it went live on May 25th, 2018. And I want to remind the listeners that, you know, you and I did a big segment on GDPR back in May of last year that they can go back and listen to. Yep. Yeah, the law radically overhauled European Union's, EU's data protection framework and may have inspired similar law legislation proposals in countries such as Brazil and India. Um, what it is, the European regulators have, have been actually intensifying their enforcement of the GDPR with several investigations launched and fines levied in the past few months and even in the past few weeks we've seen that. And then we see other ones that are, are actually getting ready to go to court. In addition, in December of 2018, um, the European Commission published a report on the second annual review of the, e- the EU-United States um, Privacy Shield. Um, the report concluded that the Privacy Shield continues to ensure um, what it said adequate levels of protection um, for personal data transfer from the EU to the United States. We also separately saw the International Trade Association's Privacy Shield team um, release new guidance regarding how Privacy Shield participant may rely on the Privacy Shield to receive data from the United Kingdom, so the UK, um, especially on the heels of it on the UK um, withdrawing from the EU, um, Brexit. In particular, that guidance advised companies that wish to receive data from the UK that they will need to update their privacy policies in order to do so. Uh, We saw the EU um, continue to consider privacy implications of the next generation technologies, such as artificial intelligence, AI. Um, We saw the Declaration of Ethics and Protection of Artificial Intelligence was issued at the 40th Annual Data Protection and Privacy Commissioners Conference in Brussels in October of 2018. And in 20, um, excuse me, December of 2018, we saw the EU high-level expert um, group on AI publish the new draft guidance on AI ethics. So in 2019, I expect the story of the year will likely be, you know, besides that it's already talking about Brexit on the UK um, and leaving the, um, the European Union, you know, we have seen that speculation has grown this past week even that Britain might have to delay the exit from the block um, beyond the March 29 deadline. I, I do expect that there will be a medium to long transition period, however, um, but that really contradicts what has been printed on since December 13th of 2018 because the Information Commissioner Office, the ICO, they're issuing guidance in the UK data protection um, law about that they really want a hard Brexit exit, but I think just even um, Recent news events in the last three days shows that that's probably going to be a medium and long transition period. But that's going to be interesting, that Brexit. 
So how about some of the highlights from the APAC region? What's going on over there? So um, when we go ahead and we're looking at um, the APAC, you're talking uh, um, region talking about more like the APAC CPR? Yeah. Or just in general? No, just in general, just in okay. general, the, the, in general in APAC uh, across okay. the entire region. So the Asian Pacific, which is APAC, you know, as people might know, it's part of the world in or near the Western Pacific Ocean. Um, the region has been seeing a share of hacking and data loss incidents, and these will unfortunately continue to be on the rise um, that I see. Um, part of the thing is, is, is we do see that there's an increasing number of dedicated data protection authorities and greater public awareness of data protection risk. And we can expect to see, I would see the enforcement of that rise. And part of it is as the APAC economies become increasingly digitized, most recently evidenced by the strong government support for smart cities, Internet of Things, initiatives and sector-specific initiatives, such as moves to open financial institutions. And we talked about financial institutions earlier, but as you look at the open banking is what they're doing, um, we see more risk around that um, rising. We saw Hong Kong's Privacy uh, Commissioner for Personal Data, PCPA. Um, it still remains strong in the region for making policies, but in September 2017, um, it did host the 39th Annual International Conference of the Data Protection Privacy Commissioners. Remember, I mentioned about the 40th this past year. Um, and remember that that is the data protection authorities across the globe who gather. Uh, one of the things that we saw with that is that Hong Kong was one of the first countries in Asia to enact the data privacy law and was considered ahead of its time because um, that dated back to 1995. However, the world has very quickly caught up, and now Hong Kong is in danger of falling behind. Uh, one of the biggest cybersecurity incidents um, that I mentioned earlier in the um, broadcast in segment one was that breach of the Hong Kong-based airline, Kathy uh, Cathay Pacific Airline, and one of, and again, remember everybody that was 9.4 million records of passengers, and what that did is it actually brought back and forward in all their press and, and their lobbies and their news and stuff like that that the PC um, privacy data um, legislation is really outdated. So we expect to see them changing them here in 2019. But we have seen um, various other countries in the APAC um, updating their privacy laws to keep abreast of change in technology. We saw Japan amend the Act um, Protection of Personal Information, which came into force in 2017. We saw China's new cybersecurity law, which came into effect in June of 2017. We saw Australia introduce a mandatory data breach notification scheme in February 2018. Uh, Vietnam passed a new cybersecurity law that came in effect literally just January 1st, so just a few days ago in 2019. And then we do expect Thailand's personal data protection bill to be enacted here in the near future. So a lot of great things happening in that region. You know, uh, that seems like a nightmare for compliance in terms of companies that do a lot of business in the APAC too, because you have all these different, these different regulations popping up in these, in these different countries that I'm sure have different requirements and, and reporting uh, notification capabilities and, so I think, uh, you know, that's a, that's a big challenge for big corporations that do international business, specifically about China. Is there anything more in depth about China? We should not be already talked. We mentioned China like five times already in this, in this <laughs> conversation. It seemed like they just keep popping up for some reason. I don't know why. 
<laughs> well, they're doing just, just doing a lot of good things. There's a lot of industries and a lot of growth that's happening there. Um, but to answer your question in 2018, um, they did issue the National Standard on Protection of Personal Information, which is called the Information Technology Personal Information Security Specification. Um, and it went live on May 1st, 2018. And the standard, although it's not legally binding, it effectively set out the best practices that are expected by regulators who audit companies and enforce China's existing data protection rules. Um, in addition, China's Ministry of Public um, Security, the MPS, issued the draft regulation on the Cybersecurity Multi-Level Protection Scheme, also known as um, MLPS. And what that did is provides guidance for the network operators to comply with the obligations um, on being able to run those multi-level protection schemes as required by their cybersecurity law. The Ministry of Public Security released a regulation on the internet security um, supervision and inspection by the public security organs, so what we just I'll call as the regulations. That took effect on November 1st, 2018, and these regulations provided detailed procedure guidance with respect on how public security bureaus, which is really um, known as the China's police force, conduct cybersecurity inspections of companies. And that provided, um, it means any company that provides any of the, the big range, the broad range of internet services in China. And these regulations will likely pave the way for being more cybersecurity enforcement acts from their police force in the future. We also saw in 20, that really coming up in 2019, the regulation for protection of the critical information infrastructure, the CCI regulation, will likely be finalized. The CII regulation clarifies how the CII operators will be expected to protect their networks against cyber threats. It also sets out additional obligations that CII operators may um, face, including things like um, allowing officials to perform cybersecurity um, inspections. Um, in addition, how about things like cross-border um, transfer rules for personal information and other important data are expected, you know, really to get finalized this year as well to go along with that. And under the latest draft version released on May 19, 2017, the companies could face general obligations to access security of their cross-border transfer and potentially undergo security assessments for such transfers by the Chinese government. So it's really, really going to be interesting. Um, um, and people really, really should pay attention to what's happening in China. So, Rebecca, before we go to break, I, I, one, one country I neglected to ask you about was Germany. And it seems like they're always in the news about their privacy laws for one reason or another. Was there anything in Germany that we should be talking about? Well, Germany has and still is a forerunner on privacy data protection law. And people forget in 1970, the German state of Hesse enacted the world's first data protection act. So this past year, being marked by the adoption of GDPR, we saw that that replaced the G German data protection laws really to a large extent. And in, in Germany, there are about 16 data um, protection authorities that follow different interpretations <laughs> of the GDPR text. And this complicates advising and privacy matters. So therefore, you know, I really think it's really going to be interesting to see how the new laws will be interpreted by Germany and European courts. And I, I think people really should pay attention to Germany because they've always been the standard that people have watched and, and then adhered to. All right, Dr. Wynn, we got to take another short break to hear from our sponsors. But don't go away, folks. 
We'll be right back with the head of information security and data protection for the Matrix Medical Network, Dr. Rebecca Wynn. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Account takeover is the fastest growing form of cyber attack. Criminals exploit compromised accounts for financial gain, often causing irreparable and long-term damage to finances and reputation. Many companies think they're protected. They believe using a password manager, multi-factor authentication, behavior-based technology, password rotations, or solutions that scan the deep and dark web is enough. Yet the account takeover problem only continues to get worse. SpyCloud combines human intelligence and automated technology to prevent account takeover for your customers and employees. We recover stolen credentials early in the account takeover lifecycle before the credentials are sold on dark forums. Check your exposure for free at spycloud.com. Improve the efficiency and effectiveness of your security operations with DF Lab Security Orchestration, Automation, and Response Technology. Automate threat containment, orchestrate incident response, and measure operational performance with DF Lab's Inkman SOAR platform. Leverage your current security resources to minimize incident resolution time, maximize analyst efficiency, increase the number of incidents handled, and reduce overall risk. Inkman SOAR acts as a force multiplier, enabling your security team to do more with less. Streamline the full incident response lifecycle automation process today. Keep your cyber incidents under control with DF Labs. Visit dflabs.com forward slash TF7 to request a look at Inkman SOAR live in action. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm here with our special guest, the head of information security and data protection for the Matrix Medical Network, Dr. Rebecca Wynn. So uh, just to kick off this third segment of the show, can you explain what the APEC cross-border privacy rules system is and any changes that have been made to it because of GDPR? Sure, I'd be glad to. Um, the APEC, so APEC stands for Asian Pacific Economic cooperation and what that encompasses is the 21 Pacific Rim member economies and then the cross-border privacy rules that's CBPR um, system it was endorsed in 2011 and it was as in the development of the APEC privacy framework 
it's a voluntary um, principles-based privacy code of conduct for data controllers in the participating APEC member economies. And it's based on the nine APEC privacy principles, again, that were developed in the APEC um, privacy framework. Um, recent changes, what we saw is in 2017, we saw the APEC CBPR gain momentum because Australia announced it had intentions to become the sixth country to participate in the system, and then it did so. It joined Canada, Japan, Mexico, the United States, and South Korea. And then we saw later um, in December 2017, Philippines join. We saw Singapore join in March of 2018. And then we just saw Taiwan join um, in December 2018. The um, CBPR scheme relates only to cross-border data flows. So that's a little different than we've talked about um, earlier in the either two segments. The CBPR certification is a badge of compliance against the privacy principles of the APEC, but it doesn't represent compliance with the applicable local privacy laws. So while the participating economies recognize APEC CBPR certification as a means of achieving compliance with international transfer restrictions, the full range of the remaining privacy issues still needs to be considered um, by the participating organizations in each uh, applicable jurisdiction. So it's a framework, try to get us there, but as you can see, there's a lot of moving pieces, so it doesn't fully get you there. So what are the chances we're going to see over-regulation in the industry? I mean, as I think it commonly happens uh, uh, across this space especially. But what's your opinion about some of these proposed regulations that call for the incarceration of CISOs for privacy failures? <laughs> I personally kind of like that. I personally <laughs> did um, because it's always the, you know, it's always the chief information security officer or, or um, the chief information officer who gets hit. And, and, I, and obviously I, I don't necessarily want everybody to go to, to jail about stuff that they don't know. I, I think trying to get the executive board and the chief information officers say, hey, you guys are on the hook and you need to take this stuff seriously is important. Um, and for too long, I think that um, privacy and security is taking a back seat to operations. I do get it. If data doesn't flow and people can't sell their goods, none of us get our paycheck. But I think that, that the pushback um, by us as people saying, hey, you've been sharing our data and doing things behind our back for too long of a period of time actually needs to stop. I mean, yeah, I mean but doesn't it go both ways, though? If I'm the CISO yeah. of an organization and you're going to hold me accountable to the point where I'm going to be incarcerated if there's a, a, a data security failure breach, right? Well, I'm going to go to you and ask you for, mm -hmm. for the world. I'm saying, well, I want this. I want that. You know, I, I want these many managing directors. I want this. I want these tools. I want this spend. I want this personnel. Um, you know, and if you don't give it to me, well, what happens then? Yeah, well, for, for chief information security officers anymore, that's yeah. it's why you're, you're seeing people leave their jobs in 18 right, months right. to two years. Right. You first, yeah, your first honeymoon for the, for the job in the first three to six months, everyone's kind of like, hey, it's a honeymoon, we'll kind of listen to you. Then you kind of get there to your, your ninth and, and, and through 12 months, you're trying to make some inroads in the company and you get a little bit. And then by the time you're generally speaking in your 15th, the 18th month, you find out that all the breaks are on, you're never going to get anything accomplished, and you don't want to be on the hook for that major breach. So you, that's the reason I think you do see a lot of CISOs leave in 18 to 24 months. From a chief um, executive officer, I think with all of the, the changes we've discussed in these two segments, from a world perspective, 
um, that we do have more chief information officers are saying, you know what, we have to go ahead and and listen more to whoever we put in charge as a chief information security officer, whether it means that we need to give them directly speaking to me or we need to get them a step up closer um, to the board because it is important. And, and one of the things that um, I think it's affected very quickly is, as we said, we have, because cities are tired of it, we have cities who are making regulations, states making regulations, government um, regulations are are lacking in a lot of companies, as I said, is they're not as um, in tune with what, what the local people want. And I think we're going to see that they're going to have to go ahead and have more of a, a, a global standard because as we've seen all the data flows and, and our a cloud and different things like that are, are doing all these cross members. GDPR doesn't quite get it there with the APEX not doing there. United States, for some reason, doesn't want to get on board. Come on, United States, get on board. Um, I, I, I think that we're going to have to look at it from um, overall global policy. And then we're going to have to look at the data transfer between the countries is going to have to be one. And then we're going to have to look at um, how we're going to um, be sharing data of um, people. And one of the things I always push is, you know what, you guys make $300 a year off my personal data. And if I um, should either be able to go ahead and um, get some of that money back or I, that should be at least transparent to me so I can choose never to use any of your services. People just have to remember there's no, no free lunch out there that people's giving you something free. They're using your data behind your back and that's how they're making money off of you. But I do think from a global perspective that there needs to be a global committee on this um, to help regulate it. And again, like I've said, I'd be happy to be a, a person on that committee. So do you have any predictions or advice for the privacy professionals moving into 2019? We get a pretty good comprehensive recap on this episode of what's happened over the last year, year and a half. And so just looking forward, you know, what should privacy professionals be looking to do? I think they have to get more global perspective. Um, when I speak at conferences or I go to meetings myself, a lot of people um, who are, will just go ahead and say, well, I'm only worried about FINRA or I'm only worried about the SEC, or I'm only um, worried about PCI compliance, or I'm only um, concerned about HIPAA compliance. I think that's really naive. You really need to have a world perspective and you need really looking at, at data flows. So I really think the people who are in the security sector, like myself, that you're gonna find uh, a big push for them to, I, I have had this title before, where as a VP of security and compliance, where compliance is probably gonna be answering a lot more um, into security and privacy professionals versus um, try to be the other way around. Uh, I see that and get too focused, or they might get, in healthcare, they're only um, focused on the CMS. One of the things I always differentiate that those people are CMS compliance, and then let me handle the world and data flows. So I do think that you're gonna see people who realize that people have skill sets like mine that were unique, but we bring something really big to the table because we're watching what's happening around us so we can position the companies quicker and sooner so it doesn't hurt as much. I think the worst thing, and we talked about this last year, was then we, go, we have GDPR going in effect in May of 2018 last year, and you have companies who are still trying to scramble in, in April um, and trying to hire staff to even do an analysis to figure out where they should be when they should have been doing that a year and a half, two years, three years prior to that. So I do think that hopefully there'll be a, a, a push um, where there's more people who, who like me, actually go ahead and, and can um, be the forerunners on that 
and then we go ahead and we see that um, people reevaluate who is their data privacy officer, who is their chief compliance officer, who is their chief privacy officer, and if the people who have been in those positions for five, 10 years, 15 years, are they the same ones that you need in your company right now? Or maybe do you need someone who's new, who, who's more of a stringer, strategic thinker who's going to keep up on these? I'm not saying people are right or wrong, but I think there's going to be more evaluation of those, of those fields and making sure that you have the right people who can lead your, your company through all these regulations since 2019. The other big thing that we haven't um, had time to talk about is one of the things is when you talk about like informatics and all the big data, if I can start opting out everything as an individual or yourself, it's really going to screw, screw all the numbers for all this big data because now you're only doing analysis on the people who have opted in that maybe not really a true representation and who's actually using your products and all that kind of stuff. So I think that's the other um, thing that's going to be interesting um, coming down the pipe. And also the definition of de-identified data with all the machine learning and AI that we've mentioned a little bit is information even three or four years ago that was de-identified. It's easy to re-identify it. And what's the legislation going to happen around that? Because de-identified data is really not de-identified anymore. So those are two areas or three areas I think are going to be really interesting to watch in 2019. So Dr. Lynn, thanks for coming on the show. It's always a pleasure to have you. I really appreciate you coming back. Where can the audience members reach you for speaking engagements or consulting or any other opportunities? I mean, you're always out there. What can they do to reach you? Well, I'm always open to new opportunities. Uh, I always like paying opportunities better <laughs> like anybody else. Uh, but the, really the best and easiest way to get a hold of me is actually through my LinkedIn profile. That's Rebecca Wynn, CISSP. And yes, we've talked about social media, but what you see on my LinkedIn profile is nothing else that you won't read about me in, in a bio. Um, and then I just want to remind everybody, you know, privacy and security by design and default. That's what we should always have. Thanks so much. I really appreciate you coming on. We've run out of time once again, folks. It seems like it went so quick. I, I, every show goes faster and faster. But before I go, I want to remind our listeners to visit the Cybersecurity Hub to read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at www.cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Redis, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.